How to Make Money Predicting the Future. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Yeah, Brian, you know, I get asked all the time because um, people know that I'm a financial advisor. They know that I work in this. So obviously I have some insight that they don't know about. And so I was I mean, say, hey, where should I put my money? How, how do I go? What, what's the next big thing? What's the next big thing? Where's it going? What should I do? Should I buy? It should I sell? It all ties into human nature, Bo. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it, it, we put a headline like how to make money by predicting the future. And that ties into just how addicted humans are to trying to figure mm-hmm. this out. If you don't believe me, think about pop culture references. Uh-huh. I mean, Notre Dame or Morpheus. If you look at this, I mean, does you're the one that called that, by yeah. the way. Doesn't he look like who, the actor? Who would have known that Lawrence Fishburne's doppelganger was uh, <laughs> Nostradamus? That's fantastic. It really does. And then I don't know where Daniel pulled that picture. But then we have Back to the Future. I'm so mad mm-hmm. at you. You did not wear the red puffy vest. Uh, oh, you had one job. Marty McFly, my doppel- doppelganger. And then, of course, the weather. The worst forecasters in the world. Because, let's face it. Outside of 24 hours, or maybe even 48 if we're being generous, weather gets kind of iffy. A little iffy. But somehow we've gone from three-day forecast to, I remember when I was a kid, it was like a five-day forecast, and then we went to seven-day, 10-day. If you go on your Weather Channel app, you can see that you can predict weather up to 15 days. I just don't buy it. Well, they don't either. I just don't buy it. If you want to know what they do, if you go look, and just test me on this, go look at your Weather Channel app. Go 15 days in the future. They're going to predict cloudy or rain. It's going to be something negative. So uh-huh. that way, as you get closer, they get to improve it. That's and they exactly get to right. look like the good guys that made the weather forecast better. Set expectations down here and then deliver better. I love it. So I want to talk about how the financial world is no different. The, the, the financial community is obsessed with predicting the future. And it makes sense because if you can predict the future... You can make money off of it. We've already talked about Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. In Back to the Future 2, how did Biff make his money? He went and got the sports almanac, and he knew how all the the games were going to go, and so he invested. I say invested. He gambled and made a fortune because he knew what the future was going to do. And there was also some movie, and somebody's going to call me out on this because I don't know why I didn't think about this in show notes, but at the end, the car driving away was like, Yahoo, uh, you know, something like that. They, you know, uh, okay. Well, it's prediction. Anyway, <laughs> people are fascinated with trying to choose the next stock that's going to turn into a big deal. Yep. And matter of fact, there's even what we call, you know, there's a commentary that calls it financial porn, where they'll say stuff like, mm-hmm. if you had invested a thousand dollars in Apple or Amazon on IPO date, what would it be worth now? That all that stuff just kind of leads to where we're trying to predict. But here's the reality of it. Most financial predictions are horrible. That's right. If you need proof, look at SPIVA. SPIVA mm-hmm. is the accounting of, it's an index, Standard & Poor's puts out research that shows that people would primarily do better if they just buy the S&P 500. Yeah, this I think this they do an analysis every year, and they track it on like one-year, three-year, five-year basis to see how well active fund managers do. These are professionals, like professional money managers, money movers, movers how well they do uh, versus just the index. And it is remarkable that when you look at it on a five-year basis on just U.S. large-cap stocks, almost 79% of managers 
underperform the index. Now, there's going to be some smart aleck that's going to see the screenshot and say, well, wait a minute, the one year, there are 30% of the managers that are outperforming, but there's no consistency. The that's longer right. we go, if we push this out from 5 to 7 to 10, you'll see that the index does better because there's this bias towards even the managers that outperform in one year have a hard time replicating the extended exactly you know, right. performance in years two, three, four, and five. So it's one of those things. So think about this. This is a pretty new concept when you think of how long businesses have been around because in 1975, Jack Bogle had kind of a, a, a thought. He was like, wouldn't it be great if we could just invest in the markets mm-hmm. because they're efficient? It's crazy to be trying to predict, predict everything. Even had, there's a quote that we had on this. So, so, Bo, read this to us. This is, this is what Jack Bogle said. The idea that a bell rings to signal when investors should get into or out of the market is simply not credible. After nearly 50 years in this business, I do not know of anybody who has done it successfully and consistently. I don't even know anybody who knows anybody who has done it successfully and consistently. This is incredible because I want you to hear me out on this. 1975, Jack Bogle starts first index investment trust that does become the Vanguard 500 index fund. And you just saw the quote. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know anybody who is effective at predicting the market. That's right. So let's transition now into, because you'll see why we're transitioning here, why you should be careful predicting the markets. Yep, because uh, it's, uh, well, let's just talk a little bit about it because, we, you know, he just said he doesn't know anybody and he said he doesn't know anybody that knows anybody. Why does he say that? And why do we think that you as a Money Guy listener should be aware that that's going on? So I think it's rich because Vanguard made their money, meaning, well, they made their market share. They have become one of the most predominant investment companies in the world because Jack Bogle understood how it's just better to buy the index mm-hmm. funds. Keep the costs low. There's a lot of good things that happen by buying index funds. So it's surprising to me that Vanguard has gotten into the market prediction uh-huh. game. Yep. And so let's see how well they're doing. So let's look at some recent headlines that we were able to pull. This one is from CNBC. This says, uh, Vanguard Group Outlook for Stock Market Returns Reaches a Post-Financial Crisis That's 2017, because we're going to do this in chronological order. So you're going to notice in 2017, they're saying, I don't know uh, about this. Outlook is a little gloomy. Uh, the next, Vanguard, you'll make a lot less money in the stock market in the next 10 years. Here's what you can do. So now they're telling you how to avoid making a lot less money in the stock July market. July 2018, still pretty gloomy. They're telling you to go make a lot less. But both those are CNBC, so let's look at a different source. The New York Times said, Vanguard warns of worsening odds for the economy and the markets. Man, this is not looking good. They're predicting that things are going to be pretty tough. Uh, Motley Fool said, has Vanguard been seduced by the dark side? So, and then you'd think, okay, they stopped. So 2018, we did have fourth quarter where it was pretty rough. So we'll give them some credo mm-hmm. that the market was bad in 2018. How about 2019? In 2019, again, Vanguard dramatically cuts its expected rate of return for the stock market over the next decade. Bo. Isn't 2019 the stock market up almost 30%? It, it has been quite a positive year for investors this year. So if you're going to start predicting that the sky is falling for investors, that you need to low, <laughs> let me give you some quotes. So let me let me just read this to you. I got two quotes from that one of those CNBC articles from back from July of 2018. It says, The economists at investing giant Vanguard predict that over the next 10 years, annual U.S. stock market returns will likely average between 3% and 5%. When you factor in inflation, 
which luckily Vanguard predicts will be below 2%, the real rate of return is expected to be under 3%. That's not it, because there's more. There's Jonathan Lemko, who is Vanguard's senior investment strategist. He continued, he said, we quote, we do expect for the foreseeable future far more modest returns than we've seen in the past few years. Not terrible, probably not negative, but much more modest, positive returns. Now, both of these predictions were like looking out 10 years. So there's a chance they could still be right. But if you would have acted upon these actions based on just those narratives alone, you might very well have missed the year that 2019 has shaped up to 2019 be. is going to be one of those sweetener years that gooses. I mean, it juices your performance return for the next decade. Yep. So I'm just telling you, if Vanguard, if you go back to the founding of Vanguard, Jack Bogle, I don't think, would love that they are now in the prediction game because they are just as bad as everybody else in the investment marketplace. It's so funny you say everybody else, Brian, because what we wanted to share is that, you know, we've picked on Vanguard a little bit here, but it's not just Vanguard. No, it's it not. I wanted to highlight the irony of Vanguard getting into this because they know what made them successful. You always see this about companies. You say, do you know what what your why is and what made you successful? And then to see them kind of go 180 degrees and try to get into the prediction game like the rest of the market who's horrible at it is done is incredible. But it's not just Vanguard. Let's pick on the media a little yeah, bit and, too. And it's not even just a new thing. So we say the Vanguard's kind of got it. Said, Look at this. We went and pulled a few headlines. Uh, in August of 1979, this is a super famous magazine cover from Business Week, The Death of Equities. The Death of Equities. Investing that means in equities, they're done. They're Gone. done. They're just not going to work anymore. Well, if you look at what the S&P 500 did over the next 12 years, <laughs> it was quite a different story. For those of you out there listening in iTunes world, what you can see is that the S&P 500, this has at base level at 100 at the beginning of 1979. You'd have missed a four-fold increase exactly if you'd right. have listened to Business Week in 1979 because the market quadrupled mm-hmm. in that period of 12 years. Yep. So, okay, well, maybe, okay, the media doesn't get it right when they when the things are bad. Well, maybe they get it right when things are really, really good. So let's look at this money cover from March of 2000 where you could learn how to invest in the hottest market ever. Now is the time to get in because this thing is rock and roll. <laughs> well, if you just looked at what the S&P 500 did over the next two and a half years, not quite so good from March of 2000 down through September of 2002. I'm starting to notice a trend here is that when the press is getting excited or they're very scared, you should probably think the opposite. Yep. Be that contrarian mindset. So, okay, now let's look at another one, more recent memory that we can all kind of think about. In October of 2008, there was a time cover and it said the new hard times, and if you can't see this on the screen right now, what it actually shows is a soup kitchen line. Folks yep. lined up. Now, I remember 2008, Brian. It was scary. We were we were doing it was scary, but there weren't. I mean, it wasn't soup kitchen lines. That's not what was going on in 2008. So when we look at it, what actually happened over the next 11 years? I mean, look at that. That is incredible. Once again, so if you thought that quadrupling earlier was mm-hmm. impossible to repeat that process again, the same thing has happened in the fact that. $1,000 invested in 2008 is worth well over $3,000 right now. So we have tripled, the the market has tripled yep. since this cover came out in October of 2008. And I want you to think about that. If you're a person reading this, you're seeing a picture, the visual of a soup line mm-hmm. from the Great Depression with the title, The New Hard Times. This is preparing, when you say the new hard times, this is saying we have a brand new, you know, Paramount of thing of things are changed. You mm-hmm. need to change the way you think about things 
whenever people tell you we have a new norm, guys, I want your spidey senses yep. to be going off because usually they're wrong. That's exactly right. There is something incredible about human nature and our desire to innovate and grow and be successful. So be very careful because remember also, how does the news media get paid? They get paid by eyeballs and ears mm-hmm. and getting attention by selling ads. So they got to scare you because that keeps you you tuned into them, but they are horrible barometers of what's actually going on. Yeah, and you can see on this illustration that from 2008 through 2018, the market has just done really, really well. It's been a really positive decade. So uh, I'm assuming, Brian, right, the news media figured that out, and they started telling you how good things were doing, how good things were doing, how good things were doing. No. Not the case. So show them these headlines. This is incredible because this title slide is, Can the Media Predict Recessions? Now, you guys know, we've done other shows where we've talked about what you can actually expect with financial markets is, is that investing is like walking up a mountain with a yo-yo. Yes, in the short term, markets are going up and down. That's that yo-yo going up and down. But you know, just like when you take a hike to climb a mountain, you keep going to higher and higher ground, and it's the same way with investing. So I want to just pull out, we put out, there's at least six or seven quotes and headlines that Daniel found, but the first, I thought it was quite rich. It's somewhere between 2009 and 2010. The market's going up, but there's a headline that says, the risk of a double-dip recession. And then you fast forward, and there's another headline, and it says, it talks about, and this is between 2010 and 2011, since it wasn't right then, they said, let's hit it again. So time to say it, double dip recession may be happening. Yep. And it, guess what? We're still going up. This is what's <laughs> crazy is that they have not, you know, it's like a clock that's right twice a day. Yep. The batteries are dead. It hasn't been wound up, but they still keep ringing the, banging the drum. And then it's one of those things when you look at the last part, when you look at the last part and it says, and this is probably from... I'm looking at the blue there, Bo. That's probably also from like 2016. Yeah. Why America's big banks are predicting a recession. Yep. They should not be in the predicting recession business. Y- you said it so right, Brian. They keep ringing the bell, keep ringing the bell. And look, here, here's the deal. Eventually, they will be right. Yeah, Eventually, we will, will have, have a, correction. A, a pullback and a correction. What you have to figure out is... Who are you going to listen to and when are you going to listen to it? Because if you want to listen to any of these headlines in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, you would have missed a really, really powerful market that we've seen over the last decade. So share with them, this is some money guy knowledge here. What's some words of wisdom that actually are much more powerful than the the predictive power of the news media or Vanguard or anybody else? Yeah, so one that we love, uh, this is from Peter Lynch, and he was a fantastic money manager. He said, Far more money has been lost by investors trying to anticipate corrections than lost in the corrections themselves. In other words, just trying to avoid it, trying not to participate in it, trying to to time it, you've probably lost more money through opportunity cost than if you just would have weathered the storm and made it through. And then there was one more quote, and this one's funny because we couldn't find who the author was, so we just assume all quotes that you can't find the author, Ben Franklin yeah, probably said it. Yeah, of course. got to be Ben. So what, what's this quote? This quote from uh, is, time in the markets beats timing the markets. It's much more about being there and being present than trying to figure out when to get in, when to get out. So we've we've put a big question mark on our predictions even possible if you you know, especially when it comes to investing and making money. So let's talk about what predictions because remember the headline or title for our entire show is 
how to make money through predictions. Mm -hmm. So let's actually give some love sure. to where predictions do offer value with your investing. Yep. So what predictions can you count on or how do you read the tea leaves? Let's give them some love on this. Yeah, so I think the very first thing that we said, you know, if you want to think about reading the tea leaves and predicting the future, first you have to kind of think about where, where you are. And this is our opinion. If you're in the early stages of building assets and the early stages of building wealth, the way that you should think about reading the tea leaves, if your investable net worth is less than around $400,000, is don't do it. Don't even consider it. Don't try it. to read the tea leaves. There are fantastic solutions out there like target retirement funds where you don't have to figure out which way the market's doing and how much I've allocated. All you have to really think about are two things. How much do I want to be saving and when do I want to be financially independent? When do I want to retire? The component of saving, the behavior of saving is so much more important than all the other noise that's out there. So, Because remember, in the beginning, you're trying to build this automation or addiction to building assets, the yep. saving, the what you're putting in is so much more important than where you're putting it. So put it in something like a target retirement fund. So you set it, forget it, and then don't let the predictions game happen later when you require a little more sophistication. That's exactly right. So we think that once your portfolio graduates past the point of where a uh, uh, target retirement fund or a, or a solution like that might make sense, now you might want to start thinking big picture, looking at some big macro type trends. Yeah. And I, when I think about macro trends, like people always ask me because they're thinking about retiring or other things like, how is this going to work? I'm always worried about, is there a risk that we hit a downturn right as I'm thinking about it? And I do think that's smart. You got to think about where we are in the market cycle. So you might want to look at price to earnings sure. ratios of general markets and so forth. You could also think about, the, there's big things that happen through innovation. Mm -hmm. Since we're bragging about how great it is, and in a minute, we'll talk about innovation. Think about the fact of Amazon. So many of us have all yep. these smiling boxes showing up. What's the impact on our local malls? Mm -hmm. What's the impact of all the overnight delivery services now that they're delivering more and more stuff themselves? Those are type of macro trends, but that's still not even economic. That's so, right. I mean, I, that's stuff that you want to think about because it might have an impact on real estate and other parts of your sector yep. plays. But overall... I don't even know if that stuff sidetracks me. No, not at all. It's it's all about small tweaks around the edges. You have to get the big picture right, and then it's not a function of timing in the market or timing out of the market. It's how you design the individual slices, just like you said, Amazon effect. Or, you know, we talked about this back in 2011 as interest rates were dropping. We said, hey, maybe we ought to think about the way we should look at thinking about the fixed income part of our yeah. portfolio in a rising rate environment as opposed to in a declining rate environment. You make changes around the edges, not... Am I all in? Am I invested? Or am I in cash sitting on the sidelines? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. Definitely focus on things you can control. Also understanding what is an efficient market, what's an inefficient market. Yep. And then look, if you realize that you've built enough level of success that you're scared of making a mistake, mm -hmm. that you're worried about putting it all in the ditch... Don't be scared to ask a professional to kind of help you out, especially a professional that's like-minded, that's honest enough to tell you, hey, I'm not going to beat the market. I'm going to actually match the market, but I'm going to make sure that we have enough, the right assets in the market. We also going to have enough assets in conservative uh -huh. things. That's the important stuff because financial advisors are not supposed to help you beat markets. They're supposed to help you develop a plan of action that gives you the best course of action for retiring when you want to, reaching your financial goals, and also interpreting all the things like risk, age, and all the things that go into a successful financial plan. So as you think about this, right, as you think about what, you know, reading the tea leaves, 
and there's so much stuff that you can't count on, like news media and economists and that sort of thing. Brian, what are some, what's something that we can count on as we think about investing and being a participant in the investment markets? Well, I always like, because investing, it's one of those things where I think people, people think about markets in terms of, I think they think of them as one big pizza pie. Mm-hmm. And they just don't know that you somebody doesn't have to lose money for you to make money. Things there's always innovation. There's always a growing market cap. So I want to I wanted to kind of put some illustrations. Both there was a time when we used to do a lot of research, <laughs> just right. me and you do, right. trying to put together graphs. And we thought it'd be a great thing if we could show clients, if we could show prospects that just if you put together a very simple general generalized portfolio of a 60% S&P 500, mm-hmm. 40% bond portfolio how just time in the market, it's that whole concept of you just understand that you can believe in the market, the growing pizza pie through innovations, globalization, all the cool things that make it great to be alive right now. What does that look like? And should you just stay the course and put time in the market, not trying to do the timing in the market as we talked about? So this illustration we're about to share with you, if you're someone out there listening on iTunes, listen on Heart Rate, look down at your device, note where we are in the show, because you're going to want to go to YouTube and check this out, because these charts really, really are powerful, and I think you're going to dig it. So what we said is if we look at a 60-40 portfolio, and we just look at annual returns, and we went back to 1953 all the way through the end of 2018, and we just wanted to do a scatter plot of the returns. Okay, what did it do in 1995? What was it in 1992? What was it in 2002? And then if we look at all the one-year returns, what's the average over that 65-year period? And we found that the average was about 9.51%. If you just look at a 60-40 portfolio over that 65. I feel like I'm a baseball announcer and I'm trying to, I have to give some visual things so that people who are listening on their podcast Uh working out, guys, I'll just go ahead and tell you, even though it's an average of nine and a half percent from 1953 to 2018, this thing looks like you're herding cats. I mean, you could throw darts at a board and have some more consistency than this because the numbers are all over the place because this is looking at every one year period Mm -hmm. with the annual performance of this 60-40 split portfolio. But I do want to tell you one thing that's kind of optimistic. This is 65 years. If you do the math, 1953 to end of 2018, that's 65 years. There's only 11 years that it went below zero. So there's only 11 negative years out of this 65-year period. That's pretty exciting if you think about that from a statistical standpoint. We didn't do this math, Brent. I bet there were more than 11 headlines over that 65-year period that suggested <laughs> well, saw, the market's were You saw down. on that previous slide, there are so many negative headlines. And they use the... I, I also, I, it's almost like, you know how you shake the, the magic eight ball? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it gives you, you know, a prediction uh-huh. of some sort? I think journalists shake a magic <laughs> headline creator and it says double dip recession, you know, or because I just like I sometimes on Twitter, like I just just like three days ago, I posted on Twitter said stock slide on some announcement. <laughs> the market was down 16 points or 0.1%. It didn't even equal that, a half a percent. That's not a very big slide. So it's just ridiculous. So in the short term, just know, like I said, if I'm a color commentator on what you're seeing in the baseball game. The average performance on a year-to-year basis over 65 years on a 60-40 portfolio is 9.5%, but it looks like you're herding cats with 11 years below below water. So what we said, Brian, is, okay, it doesn't like there's any sort of discernible pattern, discern, nope. discernible thing going on here. So what happens if we look at this exact same data, but instead of looking at it on a one-year-by-one-year basis, we look at it on a three-year basis. So now, instead of looking at 
each year in isolation, we take three years and we average out the return on a three-year rolling basis. And this is what we saw. The average stayed pretty consistent. The average three-year return from 1953 through the end of 2018, 9.13%. What I like about this, what is the first thing we talk to people about investing? If you tell me you need to have money for a house down payment next year or you're buying an engagement ring in three months, I'm going to tell you, you don't need to put money in the markets unless you can give me five to seven yep. years. Long-term investment is what goes in the financial yep. markets. So already just by going from a one-year basis to a three-year return, meaning you stayed the course for three years with this 60-40 split, Long-term performance didn't really change yep. much, but I want you guys to know the visual of this is completely different. Now, out of the 65-year period, there's only three rolling year periods that the market was actually negative. So if you just stayed invested for three years, there's only three periods, three dots that would have been negative over that 65-year period. You know, just for some color commentary, I think it's interesting. Those three dots were 1974, 1975, and 2002. Not, not even 2008, which would you would have assumed it would have been. Uh, so, okay, so then we said, okay, well, you just said, Brian, if you want to be a long-term investor, you really need to be thinking about five-year chunks, yep. not even three-year chunks. We said, okay, again, what if we look at this exact same data, but look at five-year rolling periods instead of three-year? Again, the average rate of return was very, very consistent. It was 9.07%. Now, the good news is not a single year went negative. Mm -hmm. So as long as you stayed in the market for five years, it was positive. And we're also, I, I will tell you, back in the early 2000s, there were these posters that you, if you squinted just the right, they made like 3D designs that you could see in them. We're starting to see, after five years of investment, that herding cats where it's like looks like a dart board where annual performance is always placed. It's starting to look like, a, if I squint just right, Bo, it starts to look like a line is forming there to show a trend. You just you just brought something up so nostalgic in me. I didn't realize, I hadn't thought about those things since like... Was, it was actually the 90s. Yeah, I shouldn't say it's not the 2000s, it was the 90s, because we had them in college. It was mind-blowing. I yeah. remember that, we got to talk about that for the That's show. That's going on in the market back. right there. You can see it in the, in the data if you had the visual. So now, if we say, okay, what if we think about less about, like even, even five terms, like the beginning of long-term, let's think about what if we look at... 10 years, 10-year yep. rolling periods from 1953 to 2000, 2018. Wow, that is the, really tightening up. The average return, 8.98%. And dare I say, I can actually see a pattern here. Yeah. I can actually see a picture really starting to form. That now. is a market cycle. I mean, if you look at this, this is a market cycle. So it really determines on how not... Do you make money? Because if you just stay in the market for five years, you you, you know, historically, you would have made money. Yep. This just shows how you maximize where's the opportunity on in the market cycle, the economic cycle that you're investing into. So that's 10 years. Looks really good. And so then we said, okay, what if we think about, you know, a working career? What if we look out 20 years? How does it change the number? On 20-year rolling averages from 1953 through the end of 2018, the average 20-year rolling average is 9.36%. Guys, you guys, it's amazing. We used years. We typed in each of those, but it looks like a line. If you, When you see this visual, it looks like a, a, a market cycle line. So there is an ebb and a flow, but it's all bobbing up and down below and above that 9.3% average. So what's the takeaway here is that your perspective matters. If you're looking at investing and looking at your portfolios, oh my goodness, how am I doing this quarter? How am I doing this year? Should I get in? Should I get out? You're probably missing the big picture. If you can think about long-term, what am I ultimately doing by putting my army of dollar bills to work for me? This will let you see that it's not 
throwing darts at a dartboard, it is a consistent, just like you said, steady walk up the mountain with a yo-yo. So here's the thing I think is interesting. I had somebody approach me just this weekend um, who kind of was uh, you know, a little nervous about the future. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, how could you not be with all the predictions that the, that the media puts out there? It's just, and we have all these crazy political things mm-hmm. going on. Everybody is just scared. They're like, what if our best days are behind us. I mean, I think that that is a real concern people have. I, I think so too, and uh, and I think we kind of I think we would disagree with that. Well, I, th- for I think sure. that there are some reasons that you should be excited for the future. Yeah, I, I don't let the news media rain on your parade, guys, because I want to talk to you about why you should be excited for the future. Yep. The first thing I, here's a little bit of thing, and what's so crazy is I did we typed up these show notes, and then I was at Costco last week with a neighbor buying a brisket because we were <laughs> doing a holiday party. And he said, what's that concept where, you know, things double every few years? I said, Moore's Law. And he goes, yeah, how did you know that? I felt so smart. And it was just dumb luck, wasn't it? It was dumb luck that we just did this show preparation. But this neighbor thinks I'm a genius now. (laughs) He's like, he probably thinks I'm at the source of interesting facts because I happen to know Moore's Law. So a lot of you guys, I want to give you the same ability at your next party to be able to throw this content out there because you'll impress some neighbors. So let's talk about what is Moore's Law. So Moore's Law, by definition, is the principle that the speed and capability of computers can be expected to double every two years. That's the textbook textbook definition. Now, that's not going to impress anybody no, at a party not if you read all. that. So here, let me give you the part that give you a little sizzle to it. Gordon Moore was one of the founders of Intel. We all know Intel because the you know, it's the Intel inside. He it's it. in most of, most of the computers out there. Intel has been one of the, the, the processors, chip makers, leading people for, you know, companies forever. And he made an observation in the mid-60s, the right to the early 70s, that it seemed like every two years, computers were doubling in their capacity. So, you know, he made this observation, and this came to be known as Moore's Law. Now, here's the thing. This worked for 40 years. I will tell you, we've doubled so many times that I was sad to see that we actually are not doubling every two years anymore. But it is incredible. For 40 years, the capacity of a computer was doubling every two years, the processing speed of it. So that led me to think about another thing. What if it's not just transistors and microprocessors? What if innovation is actually accelerating? Meaning that we are taking the knowledge from one human and the people before us, our, our, you know, our forefathers and the predecessors, and we're stacking it. We're starting to build that knowledge on top of it. It's the compounding benefit of innovation. I've, I, you felt I, like I'm I was on, on a roll and you didn't want to interrupt I'm it. on the edge of my seat. I'm going. So let's talk about this because then this leads to the happiest place on earth. You guys, uh, you know, I don't know how it was. I started thinking about Moore's Law, and I was like, wait a minute. I've been somewhere where it talked about technology innovation for mankind. And it's, of course, if you think about Spaceship Earth down in Orlando, Florida, Epcot, it's the big golf ball-looking ball. That's actually a ride. So if you're if you're in Orlando in July, and it's 133 degrees <laughs> on top of the pavement, you're going to be looking for air conditioning. Uh-huh. I want you to go ride this because the queue moves really mm-hmm. fast, and it's one of my favorite rides because it also has the soothing voice of Dame Judy Dench. So, And she does an incredible job of you ride up into this fear, and it talks about humans' innovation 
you know, through the ages, uh-huh. over the last forty thousand years, I believe, which somehow ends around nineteen seventy six. <laughs> but but we're going we're going to fill in the gaps after nineteen seventy six. So, but let's kind of go on this journey. So close your eyes, pretend that this. The southern accent is turned into the soothing Dame Judy Dench. This is when I wish I had a really cool English accent, I, but I don't it, have one. If it makes you feel better, I, I wish you did too. So as, <laughs> as you start the ride, right, it kicks off. And the very first thing that it notes is that uh, paper, papyrus, was invented around 3,000 I mean, it changed BC. the world because we were, you know, scribbling on caves and doing mm-hmm. other things beforehand. Now we have paper and then you know and so they talk about the egyptians well who could think about the egyptians without thinking about the innovation of that they had pyramids but then i want you to notice on the visual that we're doing for all of our our youtube listeners you you just have to go with me podcast listeners is it all that that happened around 3000 bc 2500 bc for the pyramids but then we start having some gaps i mean if, if you could look at this visually it's like what were they doing? You know, after they BC. wrote paper. Now we have, I will tell you, because you're on the ride, you're going around a corner, all the religious people are scribing. That's what they consider them, the kind of the big historians were doing, where the monks and others are, are actually writing a lot of things mm-hmm. and sharing. So that's going on for thousands of years. Then the next innovation was the printing press in 1440. Uh, that's 1448. So we've got a long time. Thousands of thousands years of went years. by. And then we, you know, kind of go through. And then the cotton gin came around in around right before the 1800s. Yep. That really revolutionized our ability to kind of separate. Because if y'all don't know, I mean, we're from the South. Cotton has some seeds in uh-huh. it. And it's a lot of trouble to get those out. So the cotton gin was a big innovation because it made just getting you know, the the thread and making clothing fabrics in general were a lot easier after that innovation. So here's the big thing. A lot of thing that's pretty exciting, but still pretty sparse. I mean, uh-huh. if you looked at this visually, not a lot of stuff going on. And then wham, bam, look at what happened. Wow. 1885. <laughs> I mean, well, 1849 was the first telephone. Te- first telephone invented. And then in 1885, uh, we had the first automobile. And then in 1895, the first radio signal. We're starting to crank here. 1903, the airplane was invented. It's almost like somebody threw some baking grease in there and really got this thing cranking. 1927, first television was invented. Uh, 1969, U.S. landed on the moon. And then this is where the ride kind of ends, because, you know, just giving the visual for all of you that have been to Florida and been up in the sphere, is that they show two guys in a garage working on the personal computer. They talk about the personal computer. Now, they don't say Apple by name, but come on. It was it was Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak in there tinkering on the garage. You know that's who it was because if you look at the visuals of it, you'd be like, yeah, that, that's probably was Steve Wozniak working on the, the computer. So that was around 1976. That's where the ride stops. But I will tell you, that's not where That's life, not where our ride stops. Innovation kept going because think about this. 1990, World Wide Web starts hitting. I can tell you, I was in college during the 90s, so it was crazy to see how the the internet changed just college in general. I mean, I used to fill out a Bubbletron, Scantron to go register for classes, stick them in a wall, wait for them to call my name, and I'd find out. By the time I graduated, we'd actually go on DOS in our computer, dial in like we were playing war games, you know, and then you would register right there on the internet. It was truly incredible. And now if you lose the web access during the day, like if, if you're sitting at the office and you lose internet, you might you're, as well have lost done. power. You're I mean, out. so it's it's truly incredible. And then you go to the 2000s. We got our 
iPods came around 2005, mm-hmm. iPhones came around 2007, and that didn't even, iPads came right after yep. that. And then how could I not do an innovation discussion without saying Tesla, the first Model S came around in 2012. That was the first where they really started putting production out there. All of this just shows you we are stacking. There really is a compounding effect to innovation that is pretty incredible. And I think what you said, Brian, is we were talking about this in show prep, is the big thing you said is that ultimately innovation drives growth. Yeah. And so long as we live in this world where innovation is happening more quickly, more quickly, more quickly, it's not like the pie is finite. You said it the best. That pie keeps expanding, keeps expanding, keeps expanding. And so if you're someone who has the ability to be an investor, to be able to capitalize on these companies that are coming up with these innovations, creating these new things, coming up with these new ideas, it's a really exciting time to be alive as an investor. Well, I thought it was really cool. I wanted to close out with two quotes, and I thought it was interesting. The first one, I showed you at the latter part of the 2000s, Apple was a big part of it. Because, I mean, we didn't even talk about the Apple Watch, but Steve Jobs is no longer with us, Mm -hmm. but his... Legacy is he had a lot of innovations, and I love this quote that he gave, and I just want to read this, and then I'll let you read the oracles. Um, But this one is, life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact. Everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you, and you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. Guys, this is not stopping. That's where Steve Jobs' quote stopped, but innovation is a a let loose train that is rolling down the hill, and you just have to figure out if you're going to be part of it. If you don't believe me, what is the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett? I think it's so interesting that his nickname is Oracle of Omaha. He's so good at investing that they gave him the title of Oracle, meaning he can see the future, see around corners, what was his quote, Bo? Yeah, this is what Warren said. He said, early Americans, we should emphasize, were neither smarter nor more hardworking than those people who toiled century after century before them. But those venturesome pioneers crafted a system that unleashed human potential, and their successors built upon it. This economic creation will deliver increasing wealth to our progeny far into the future. Yes, the buildup of wealth will be interrupted for short periods from time to time. It will not, however, be stopped. I'll repeat what I've both said in the past and expect to say in the future years. Babies born in America today are the luckiest crop in history. I mean, we could have shown so many other quotes. Boone Pickens. Mm-hmm. T. Boone Pickens, yeah. He, he passed away not too, re- too, too long ago, and he, he actually did a unique thing where he wrote essentially a letter mm-hmm. or thoughts because he knew he was going to be passing soon. And he kind of said the exact same exactly thing right. about how much opportunity it was. So, so guys, don't let somebody steal your opportunity by trying to scare the heck out of you. This thing is not slowing down. You, Yes, we could have a downturn. Yes, politics are always going to be ugly. Yes, there's always going to be geopolitical stuff where one nation's probably fighting for another nation's resources or thoughts. But don't let that stuff derail you. Mankind and humans in general are optimists. They're looking at things from a glass half full and always looking at that Steve Jobs quote where they're going to figure out how they can make the world a little bit better and that really can change your mindset. So so don't let somebody steal your dreams. Be optimistic and get out there and build your financial future. If you love this stuff, if you love the way that kind of we think about looking at finances or how we think about macroeconomic stuff, and you want to know a little bit more, go out to our website, moneyguide.com. We actually have a blog post where we're able to dive a little bit deeper even than we can on the show. And if you haven't checked out our resources page, you have to go do that because on there we have 
uh, PDFs, spreadsheets, illustrations, deliverables, things that you can tangibly take away and use to help you take your finances beyond common sense. Now, this is one that hopefully just lit a fire in people, got them excited. But we go deep on the nerdy stuff, too. But I just hope you know, a lot of you are going to say, I kind of like these guys. They're motivating. And then you go watch a nerdy show and go, wow, they're really kind of nerdy, too. And you're like, how can they just give it away? The reason we can just give it away is because we believe in this. We call it the abundance cycle. There's a reason our financial planning firm is called Abound Wealth. It's definitely a derivative of abundance. We want you to come learn, apply, grow, and reach such a high level of success that you're going to look over, look down at what you've acquired and go, I need help. I want to make sure I don't put this in the ditch. I want to make sure that I think about things in a not have blind spots and, and get it all right because this is just too important. This is too valuable. It's too big. And then you go remember the Money Guy Show. You go remember the guys over at Abound Wealth, and that's when you'll take the relationship to the next level. So definitely go check out moneyguy.com. You'll see a Work With Us tab. We always are looking for people to kind of have relationships with, and we are having a blast. We started doing this in 2006. You are the reason we are successful, and we truly could not do it without the Money Guy family. Would you add anything else? I, I think you nailed it. Uh, if you haven't gone out to the website and give us your email address, do that. If you haven't gone to YouTube and you haven't checked out our videos, our live streams, you got to go check that out. Make sure you subscribe. The counter keeps on going up, uh, and we just thank you so much for tuning in with us. I was trying to think of a Walt Disney quote, but we'll just close it with that. <laughs> <laughs> Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Mm-hmm.